0: This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness.
1: To another episode of Deluxe Edition, the podcast where we dig into classic pop culture, yada, yada, yada. And I'm here, as always, with the man, Casey Shearer, who has turned 40 today. Hey, Bill. How you doing, buddy? Happy the big 4.0. Big 4.0. Everything changes now. That's what you keep telling me, but... It all, it's, everything starts to drip. Everything starts <laughs> to... Change. Just gotta go downhill.
2: But enjoy your 40s. Hey, this is uh this has been one of the best years of my life so far leading up to 40. So this has been the best year in yeah. a pandemic.
1: This has been one of your best years. Glad that fuck you're having the, a
2: good one. fuck the pandemic, bro. Well, <laughs> uh, why is it one of your best years? Uh just uh everything financially, got a got a successful podcast going here with my good buddy Bill. It's uh we interviewed uh some major stars this year and our interview uh that we're uh, leading up to right now is probably one of my favorites. So, yeah, I think uh yeah, definitely 39 was pretty damn good, man.
1: Yeah, sounds like it was pretty good for you. Awesome. I want to do a little bit of house cleaning talking about our podcast. So, you may have noticed that we've been off for a couple weeks Let's tell them why, Casey. So it, it does happen, you know, like anything in the world. You, you set up some of these uh, interviews. You set up any kind of appointment. Once in a while, you know, things get uh, confused. Sometimes the guest doesn't show up. Sometimes we just get ghosted and we never hear from the guest again, <clears throat> Victor Miller. But, uh, you know, we had a period where uh, we kind of had an empty week. So Casey came up with this awesome idea. He said, why don't we do the um why don't we why don't we take some of like the highlights of our shows and just kind of release them on YouTube? You named them quick bites, and yeah, we've been making these little quick bite videos. I think they're you know pretty cool. So a good idea came out of the fact that we were having trouble scheduling. So nice work there, everybody. Go check out the quick bites. Casey's doing a great job at uh, selecting good clips.
2: Yeah, they're uh, they're going to be coming uh, more frequently too. I was thinking that the other day in uh, my hotel room. I'm like, what? Oh, shit. I should be. Uh cutting up some of these quick bites here Well, I didn't have anything to do. So there's uh, there's more on the way. Who do we have up so far? Uh, we have Larry Hankins, Scott Schwartz, Mark Singer, and Burt Ward.
1: Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a great interview today, Case. I don't know how you got this guy. I really don't. One of my all-time favorite actors. Like you told me, you're like, Hey man, Tom Skerritt's gonna talk with us. It's like holy shit! You don't have to do any research on Tom Skerritt. Like everybody knows Tom Skerritt. What's your favorite Tom Skerritt movie?
2: Mine, personally, Cheech and Chong Up in Smoke. See, I I, I go mean, between. If you, you know, consider, do you consider that really though a Tom Skerritt movie? He only he, he plays a short five minute part. On you know that's that's my favorite maybe cameo of Tom Tom Skerritt.
1: What about in Ted? That was a good one.
2: <laughs> Do you remember it? <laughs> I don't honestly. No, I, I saw Ted maybe one time a long, long time ago.
1: They got a great part where there's a guy who uh, he works with Mark Wahlberg, and he's like, yeah, "I'm friends with Tom Skerritt," and like he just can't stop talking about how cool Tom Skerritt is. Like a great, great caveat. Um, like, a lot of people love him in Top Gun. I, I love Alien. that's how I became aware of him. And then it's just one. Of, he's one of them guys that you you watching movies in the '80s, and if it was a great movie, Tom Skerritt was in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom they you know? really loved the show Picket Fences. I remember my mom always talking about Tom Skerritt in the show Picket Fences.
1: Yeah, just iconic. So you're gonna see when this. Well, if you're watching this on YouTube <laughs> when it starts you can see like I'm visibly nervous. I'm like uh, uh humana 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 <laughs> when Tom shows up. Tom is 87. Tom is as funny and friendly as as you would expect him to be. We did have a little bit of an issue with Zoom at times. Sometimes sound was a little bit of an issue. We tried to fix it as much as we can. The internet is the internet and towards the end we just lost video with tom so there's i think there's times where the the interview might sound a little bit choppy but it's just that's how zoom unfortunately gave it to us so we did the best we could with editing yeah it might be a little bit hard to hear at times but i'm i'm telling you like he's got the best stories it's fascinating stuff
2: yeah tom's still a great storyteller and uh, this is this like i said each i keep saying this for everyone this is my favorite one this is they just keep getting better i mean this you know, it's Tom fucking Skerritt, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right on. We'll watch you do the plugs, and we'll get right to the interview.
2: All right. So, yeah, we changed things up with this one, too. Uh, we we know uh, we always ask for fan questions on our Facebook group, so head over to Facebook. It's a Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast, The Group, and uh, we're always posting about fan questions in there. But uh, we set something up in this one, and our good friend Kyle Patton helped us out to show you how you can do it. If you go over to uh, patreoncom slash deluxe edition pod, you can sign up over there and you can actually personally ask a question on the uh, podcast. If you send us a video, sign up over there, send us a video and we'll play it for the guest. Uh, so you can personally ask the guest your question. And uh, so we're on Twitter, Instagram. We have a website of our own deluxe edition. Show. And uh, I think that's all of them, Bill. Yeah,
1: you know, if you forget all these addresses, just go to deluxeedition.show. It's basically a hub for everything that we have. Yep. All right. Well, again, happy 40th, Casey. Thank you, Bill. And let's get on with the interview. Sounds good.
0: Thanks, Louisa. Nothing like a good piece of ass. And uh, thanks for inviting me, by the way.
1: Thank you for coming. I mean, we are gigantic fans. So, the, I mean, if we're, we're going to try not to be starstruck, but we're a little starstruck. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, me too. Seeing you guys for the first time.
0: Yeah, you're starstruck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you about Evergreen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, uh
0: God, how do I start? It's really the new no video world, really. Video media, video media. There is no practical use for, to say, film, for example, is something there in the history. I, we don't use film anymore. It's on video now. And it just has created a whole new approach to what we're doing in film. I live in Seattle, so I'm quite apart from where I lived for so many years, where I made a living, and moved up here about 30 years ago to Seattle, and science is a very vibrant film community. It needs to have, it needs to move on. It needs to move on to the level that we're working at, which is being able to live, deliver content to the whole Northwest sector, which is Oregon, Idaho, Washington, and British Columbia, and some of the wonderful Canadian uh, videos that have not been distributed here. So we have about 150 hours of just flat-out entertainment, uplifting, imaginative stuff for uh, our audience, which is over the Sir app. Evergreen channel is on Sir app. Uh, I hope I made sense out of all of that. Uh, it's, uh, it's really a worthwhile. It's just a load of variety of stuff of uh, interest, imaginative stuff. Guys up in Bellingham, for example, five of them, we didn't know each other before, and they were all reconciled and made up with each other when they started working on a motorcycle made out of scrap metal that was going to break the world's land speed record in Salt Lake City. So they hadn't quite finished it, but uh, those ideas of that and Chihuly, Glass, when he first started making glass years ago, and then video on that. It's quite a variety. Of some fishing, great fishing rivers from Idaho to the Pacific. It's just loaded with all of this stuff. A lot of good material on shelves that never get
1: distributed, so we've been able to access that. Was the vision to really bring the, the talent, the, the filmmakers in your area and expose them to the world, or was it just more of, exposing the talent of that area to that area evergreen is national we have between two to five million we haven't really we're fairly new
0: in our distribution and numbers so uh all of the information isn't quite
1: there yet but the potentials could go that high five million people nationwide are you more of a mentor or, or are you actually helping to produce some of the films well we're
0: mentored right now to produce the films you got to have quite a bit of money but we felt that we had, why we put the money out now? Because we also work at a very dollar 98 level. Quality is, exceeds that. But all the available films that are not being seen or never have been seen or never distributed or won't get any exhibition whatsoever. So they won't be recognized for the work they're doing individual filmmakers. And they, uh, we split, we have an ad based channel so we are able to split revenue with them and all of this is just new but that's the basis of it is that this is northwest quarter all these states are up here in the northwest area that have have these uh, these filmmakers available
1: so as i guess it's a mentorship uh i call it a business did you move to that area and just you were Amazed by the the talent there, that you just said, "Hey, I need to expose this." And I moved up here thirty years ago, and was aware
0: of by a lot of incoming films from Hollywood at that point, and that's when I really saw what was going on here. It was pretty exciting. The grunge music scene was still cooking. All those guys were; those bands were together, and I guess uh, Pearl Jam is the only one the only one that remained out of it. And it very positive way. I mean, they're still relevant. But it was the matter of the uh, dealing with its own communities as excited as it was to be able to embrace incoming productions. There was no incentive, and British Columbia had an incentive, and that made a difference. So they wound up going up to Canada. And we are now in a situation of making that. So transition from inviting Hollywood to come up and shoot here and we know it's gonna go to Vancouver. Why don't we do our own work? Why don't we begin to know how to tell a good story on film by writing, working on the material to the extent that you wind up with pretty good material. And then you can ask local people to invest in these films. A lot of investors get very hesitant, as you might imagine, about doing something like that. So we just take our own money as best we can and what few investments we were able to get prior to, we just started just prior to COVID, by the way. So the investments were there prior to that and held up by COVID, which is now still an issue. We have to deal with the reluctance of anyone to do much of anything that's insecure, especially putting money out of an investment in a new company like this. The approach is quite different. Going on an app and, putting it out that way on our own channel, Evergreen, E-V-R-G-R-N. Well, we've done that before. So it's all that. we got to pound the nails
1: and to really make sure this thing stays
0: together. And that's what we're
1: in the process of doing. The way that the, the world has changed, the way that the Internet has is, is really, especially in the last 10 years, just dominated people's attention. I think you're on to something really you know, smart here.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I emphasize it's got to be positive and it's got to be imaginative. Uh, that's the one thing that's in the Northwest, tend to, people tend to write double films and make films here that are not so happy. They're often depressing and that's difficult to sit through in this time and place. So if you have something that's tickling your imagination in a positive way, we've succeeded. And that's basically with the 150 hours used.
2: It's delightful. It's really delightful. Where can people find the Evergreen channel? StirApp,
0: S-T-I-R-R, all caps. You can get the app for, for nothing. So Stir app is owned by a larger broadcasting, a same broadcasting company, which is the second most nationwide network. And with the evergreen the way it is, you're able to really select particular specific little little short films or long films, for that matter, because we do have some feature length secondary films that are there that are worth watching. They're all positive, basically. I want to emphasize that. So um, I think that's pretty much what we are, is that kind of positive thing that you should be going to look at when you want to watch television,
2: because it's going to pick you up. Sure. Is Redwood Highway one of the movies on there? I
0: believe that is one. I had done work for that guy. uh, I forgot. Michael was the producer on that. And uh, I forgot about that film until Amar, our CEO, Leslie Grandy, has been going through all this, sorting out what that which works and that that which does not work. That's one film she came up with, was that. And a voiceover I did on another one of us. Great rivers, fishing rivers
2: from Idaho to the Pacific Ocean. Quite a variety. I watched Redwood Highway the other day. Great movie. Do you remember where that Burl place was? That your uh, character is that? Uh, obviously, that's a real place somewhere.
0: Well, um, all I remember about this. Now, I've done a lot of work, so I tend to. Well, that's a job, and you don't. You know, unless it's, unless you're doing. Some of those other films that are not classic, which you remember because it's, there's something that brings you into it more. But I, I was doing favors or working with her a day or two on some of these films in, in the local area, and in the local and the whole northwest, different Oregon and Idaho, that sort of thing. So that specific film was down by middle of Oregon. There's a road highway that goes. To uh, all the way to the Pacific from High Five, so it's that road that's talking about. That hiking, uh, getting out of a convalescent home and walking there, get to the Pacific Ocean as quickly as you can. And as a person who's living in a convalescent home, so that's very optimistic.
2: Yeah, that was a great movie. Yeah, well, I travel for work, so I want to see if I can find that uh, that that place, uh, that your character owned in that, in that movie, that was a cool place. Yeah, it was. Oh, particularly that particular, store, that, uh, great. Yeah.
0: All the carvings that that in and an extraordinary carving out of, out of the
2: forest. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So we'll get into, uh, some more fan questions here. Patty Prundy wants to know, is there anyone that you've previously worked with that if you heard they were in a new project and they requested you, uh, it would be an automatic yes, no questions asked? Well, these are films that you're
0: talking about we did up here, where they asked me if I'd do them a favor and get involved. And I liked the material enough to get involved for a couple of days. But otherwise, I've worked in the beginning. I did flash back to the beginning because I started mentoring with a TV director who lived in the neighborhood as a filmmaker. And uh, I did a few TV shows for him, and I thought he was an interesting guy, and I stuck with him for a few years until he finally called up one day and said, hey, i uh, have got a film to direct, and I'd like to be in it, and it's called Match. So I was mentoring, right from the beginning, I was spoiled with Robert Altman, and then Al Ashby, who held more than being there, and then Ridley Scott. They all asked for me to get involved. And... Uh, so there is that, you know, where they asked me to do to be in the film. I didn't, In other words, I didn't have to audition
1: for them. Has there ever been a scenario where you said, yep, I'll be in your movie, and you really didn't know what the movie was about, you're just doing it for a friend?
0: Oh, well, yeah. Up, uh, up in Smoke? I don't
1: know if you ever saw <laughs> Of course we have, certainly. It's a great yeah, one. Well, yeah, we
2: have some questions about Up in Smoke. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I ran into them in Westwood, just in in Westwood. We got talking. And I said, Hey, we're going to do this movie next so to you. Why do to fall by and play Strawberry? i sure. Without checking it out. I just thought this is
2: fun. That's great. So while, well, while we're on the subject of that, yeah, we got a bunch of uh, fan questions about that. So we'll kind of wrap it into uh one. <laughs> uh, you already told us about how you got the gig. So, uh, what was the backstory on Strawberry? Like, how did you come up with that? Or was it something they came up with? It was just there. It's what they wrote. Plus, his
0: heart. The manager put the money up for it. A couple million bucks. Adler. So that's that's basically all I know. It's just that, uh, I just said, yeah, let's do this. And the one thing I really... T- I mean, one, it was outrageously funny to do that whole idea of you never get out of a car with that you never leave a car that's got a lot of smoke in it (laughs) for a reason (laughs) there's no fire there anything (laughs) but that right but (laughs) that was funny that was a very successful film financially for for them so otherwise it was just no doubt this is going to be fun i remember one of the things that i did take away uh, there are certain things that you take away from not so much the action of the film but just had conversations with the neighborhoods you go to and the people you meet outside of the film business. is really what I found always rewarding. I worked in Italy for a long time doing films that way. But I remember we were sitting out one day in the front digging in the sun. My house is, uh I said something, like, yeah. he's saying, yeah, it's really nice just for being relaxed like this. I said, yeah, yeah, isn't it so? And he said, yeah. To the beach roofing for for a living. That's that was, and I've always taken that as a as my byword is how's how's life working in the business that I'm in. I'm just saying, well, man, it beats roofing. I've done a little bit of that. So I know what do I do? it was It beats roofing.
2: Hey, a guess a guess what I did for uh, what I've been doing for twenty years roofing. Oh
1: yeah, oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was uh, a. <laughs>
1: Casey's waiting for his big break. He wants to get in the Hollywood next. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, a, I was a,
2: a residential roofer for 15 years, and now for the last four, I've been uh, just flying around and inspecting roofs. So my job has gotten a little bit easier over the last few years. You're working your way up, yeah, finally. Or down, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's down to the much higher than a roof. <laughs> It's a tough job. Yeah. Tough job. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, uh, all right. That's great, man. Any any more uh, Cheech and Chong stories you want to share? No, just that one with Cheech. Cheech and I were
0: playing a lot during that. Tommy was always a little bit kind of looking the other direction. Uh, he had that inclination. A lot of, whoa, man. <laughs> What's that? There's nothing there, Tommy. Yes, there is. Man. <laughs> You're just not uh, looking hard enough. All of that. Kind of, I love that. <laughs> you know, just, that was the sillies back there in their decisions. Really, the sillies. You know, and, and Bella to work with uh, Hal Ashley and uh, Harold Mod.
1: Learn how to edit. Learn how to tell a story well. When we were saying that you were coming on the show, there was a lot of people that were like, "Yeah, Strawberry." And, and I thought, "Wow, of all the movies you've done—that was surprising." And, and I love, you know, many of your movies. I definitely love your your character in that movie. But were you surprised by the success of that? Are you surprised that people still remember you as Strawberry? No,
0: I had and immediately working or mentoring with Robert Altman taught me a whole lot about. It business and about how to tell a story well and how to take the risk of possibilities. So I sensed that MASH is going to be a big hit. The studio hated it. It turned out Bob and I were, were right about it. We had a good, very strong feeling about it. I knew how he would edit the film because he had an entourage of unrelated films that he, filmed that he shot for that that became relevant in the course of it. Uh, I mean, he had three cameras half the time, about eight microphones scattered everywhere. So he's picking up all of this stuff. And I had a great sense that this was going to be quite an interesting film. Then the studio wanted to fire him at one moment. And the writer of the screenplay wanted to have his name removed from it and all of that. And he wound up winning the Academy Award for writing it. But... Uh, It's all that ironic stuff that I was learning right from the beginning from guys like Altman and Hal ashby the delightfulness that they had about how they went about their work and the total lack of uh, reserve about whether they would inflame the uh, studio executives. And I'm not ever faulting studio executives. They just sometimes get involved in something that they don't quite understand. As we do with business, creative people, same thing, so the island water thing always seemed to work out in the end when it's successful for everybody and uh, Harold bought the same kind of thing, I remember how reading a script and sharing it with me and, and saying um, that this is going to be a successful film only as long as it lasts for the next twenty thirty years it 'll be a classic, you know, but it turned out it was quite. it still is some out of an inside film to look at given the topic of it but yeah what what they left with me what they gave me those two guys in particular uh is really a lot what i'm trying to give to evergreen as a writer as a filmmaker as a director and by the way as an actor is just simply what i gave to this company is really what I got from all these guys, including Scott, guy, who I followed around every day on the set to see how and why he was doing certain things. He, was, he had his eyes on the camera all the time. He was shooting the camera. He was composing objects to give it depth, to give it know, composition, that sort of thing. So all of this is really what I have potential to bring to this community at Seattle and to really Make every green channel successful. It's going to take time for people to understand. We're not talking about Hollywood anymore. We're talking about the approach to new media, iPads, iPhones, home entertainment. That's basically where it is. It's not in theaters anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm going to download the app uh, as soon as we're finished here because, like I said, I travel all the time. So there's a lot of stuff on there that I want to check out. All right, so uh, we'll get back into uh, some more fan questions here. Uh, Adam Davis wants to know uh, what's the biggest role that you've ever passed on?
0: Well, I would, the only thing I can come to mind with is years ago I had signed on to do a film up in Canada. It was a nice script and all of that. And, and uh, about two weeks before I was going to be shooting that film, Robert Retro called me to ask me to play. Uh, in, in uh wonderful film, one of the chattering word, you won for directing it, uh ordinary people. And uh Donald Sutherland, who I worked with of course in MASH, did the role because I had signed to do this thing up in Canada to so set the film. So that was uh you know, since that wound up being the best film I, that itself was one of the best, best films that year. Um, it wasn't the other film of James Canada, I don't even know if it was released yet. So quite a different. That was the only one I would say Top Gun. Otherwise, I really loved that idea of being in Top Gun. It was with Tony, uh, uh, who was Ridley uh, Scott's brother. He was going to direct. Tony was going to direct, and I thought, well, I really loved the way. Guy's work, I love their work as a painting, and they're truly film uh, artists. So that one, I thought to do Top Gun, but ordinary people is something I wish I had done. But that's okay. It's it's only conversation. No
1: regrets. Have you ever worked on a movie, and while you were there, you're thinking, "This is terrible. I wish I didn't take this." Oh.
0: Yeah, I can't even remember the names of them, so I can get away with it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, Again, most of those, and I did a couple of them in in Italy, really, uh, I knew they weren't going to be, at that time, I was somewhat of a name that could conceivably be part of helping to distribute the films in America, but that was not something I could see given what we were doing, how it was going along, it was not, it was not about the film. It was really about the place and the people. Again, the experiences you have of being in obscure places in, in, in Sicily, uh, ruins of a Greek village 2,000 years ago that you've come across, and a variety of just history everywhere. People are the product of that. So it was just... On and on, being all through Italy, from one film to another, that I can't remember, nor have I seen any of them. And it, it doesn't matter. It was a great experience. And uh, everything I have done that has location on it, really, was more about what, what the film, that was more important than how the film was going to turn out, because clearly I had some reservations about those films. And that wasn't really about that. It's how you make a living. I make a working being hired as an so
2: there's nothing to regret. There's just nothing to regret about this. That's great. So uh, you mentioned uh, Top Gun, so let's go down that route. Blade Runner 1983 wants to know which one did you enjoy making more, Alien or Top Gun? That's a tough
0: question. They're two, just two different things. Two different kinds of places. I mean, you're working uh, Alien uh, with a script that I got that, uh, I, I, it was a $2 million budget or a little less than that, and that was it. I didn't, there was no director, no other actors. I was the first one that came to do that. And I didn't know that I, would, whether I would want to do this film because that budget of $2 million would be basically uh, the level of Ed Wood, who was the worst director ever in Hollywood. You just can't, you know, you take a script like that, which is a solid story, but a two million bucks uh, budget is not going to do it, so I, I held off on giving any response. And I, meanwhile, I saw uh, The Duelists, which really Scott it was a Swiss movie, and I just got bowled over with quality, the artsmanship of it, the craftsmanship, the, the depth of it. And uh, they, they said he's going to direct the film, and the budget was up to him, you know, where it should be. And they had this a wonderful road bus cast that was just impressive to me. And so I said, I'm gonna jump on that ship and take off. And as far as Top Gun is concerned, I really loved the material. My, my agent uh, at the time felt that I was, um, well, I didn't have enough energy. I didn't think they were having for that reason. Um, which really pissed me off. So I thought, well, yeah, okay, let me go on and talk to the producers. And I did that, and and Tony Scott, and that's how it came about. But I really wanted to do that one because not so much the role as much as working with Tony, and Tom was new. It was delightful to meet him before we did that drum. So it just
1: seemed to fit. It seemed to be what I had to do right then. When I think about your career, I think it's really amazing that you've been in so many movies and you've had so many really unique roles that you've never been typecast. You're one of those people that can be remembered for all of these different performances and nobody seems to blur them together. I think that's a really special thing. I think a lot of actors haven't been able to escape that sort of typecasting, but you have. I was uh, an
0: English major at UCLA and I saw Citizen Kane and said, I'm going to, I want to write and direct to that level. So that's where I set my, that was the bar I was going for. But I thought if I was going to write for an actor, I had to know what it felt like to be an actor. To get on stage in front of people and do stuff that really makes me awkward. I felt I got to challenge that awkwardness. I got to go out there and do this for myself. And I'm seeing acting and, one of the plays I was doing at the time, in the community, not in UCLA. But in the community, someone, a couple of guys had seen a film, I, uh, seen me acting, and they wanted me to be in a film they were doing, which had two other actors, Robert Redford and Sidney Pollock, which is where those two built their relationship from that. And my, in the 60s, I was long, very good friend with Redford, and that's how River Rose through It ever came. Was because of my relationship with him. But you know, it's just, all of it for me. I remember reading something, a review on uh, uh, me. I think I said, uh, is, a, is a, a character actor in a leading man's body. It wasn't about me being a movie star. I never had that. Uh, it's such an elusive It's like saying we. You know, it doesn't have. It just doesn't have that, it's an acting, it's about acting and you're not yourself when you're acting in the sense of how you are socially, but doing acting is just throwing it all out there. And, And the more you throw it, the more you gain, the more you build who you are and the more you put in each character. So it's each character the characters deserve more than the actor. It's what I become, and how I do it. So being, a, being a, a, an actor who's popular because of personality is not really what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question or not. but it was know, a great answer. Yeah. Terrific
2: answer. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, one more Top Gun question, and I think it's a, a question that a lot of people want to know, but we'll give it to Kyle Patton. How you doing, Tom? Couldn't bring myself to ask you a question without wearing aviators when Top Gun was concerned, but can you tell us anything about the new movie and are you in it? Thanks a lot.
0: You know, I've been asked that for still over 30 years, every year. People say, when are they going to make one? I'm not in touch with Hollywood. I'm really good really immersed in here, raising kids. I've got uh, kids and grandchildren here and all of that. So that's that's, that's So I've been asked over and over again, are you going to be in it? And when's it coming out? I said, first of all, I don't have no idea on any of that. It's not a question I have to deal with. So I got a call from them one day said, finally they're going to make a movie and they want me to come down for a day and I should precede that by saying, a lot of, recently in the last few years, when people were asking me that question. I said, the only way I'd be in the film, I'm sure, would be just simply 30 years later that they would be coming to my character's funeral. So, as it happened, they asked me to come down to be at the funeral of Iceman, and that character. So, so, I went down there for a day and, uh I was in that scene, now, I don't think that, that I'll be in the film at
2: all, it's just me and a crowd of people and being there for that funeral well wow. well we're we're all looking forward to the movie it's uh it's we all just stumble on this stuff all the there's nothing clean
0: cut anymore this is not studio stuff it's it's uh it's each one of us hoping to get a job soon, yeah. And I've had, you know, been offered, given really some terrific work to do, and I just feel like I'm a very lucky man. Though nobody may know who I am because I do different characters. I'm not identified as Sean Connery would be with Double O Seven. You know that he'll always. It's wonderful as an actor as he was. You know, I, I, that's the character James Bond. Bond. James Bond.
2: Well, I've heard you say. I've listened to a, a few of your interviews in the last couple of weeks, and I've heard you say that over and over. You consider yourself a lucky man, but uh, you know, you say that Sean Connery is remembered for that James Bond role. But think about this: you're you're remembered for so many different roles, and you might not believe it, but a lot of people do know Tom Garrett. <laughs> I'm
0: finding that out. I got a heap of.
2: Email over
0: there that I have to tend to, and my wife says you don't need to do all those. I said yes, I do that. And these people put some effort into putting these photographs together, purchase them, and send, somehow, another found out my box number, and so I did it that way. But it's the big responsibility to all what we do. It's it's the most influential of all media. Damn it, do the work you can. Do the best work you can. best, the best work you can find. But I learned very early on, when I was at UCLA, how to read a screenplay, and how to feel it with Dalton, how to feel it through uh, Academy Award uh, winning editor turned director, Hal Ashby, and how to compose all this from Ridley Schum. That's that's what I get knocked out about. You wanna talk about not being in one role all the time, I'm in the role of being in this sneaky little guy in the background who's looking at everything that the director is doing and saying "My God, this guy's a genius. This guy is a, how they framed it. And look at this, these guys in the background, and MASH, look at that stuff, improvisational stuff they're doing. And looking over here, Alien, how they're addressing that indigestion scene, you know, and how they watched how they did the whole thing, how he probably had a, a real cow, Image being brought in to spray that whole room. He was something else, the way he went. He said he went at it. He just went at it. He said he wanted to, he wanted to use Texas Chainsaw Massacre as the platform. You know, the best way to scare them all over the place is don't let them see who this guy is or what this is. It's what you don't see that really scares the hell out of. Our imaginations work a whole lot better than any screenwriter can do, or any director for that matter. Unless the director knows, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to let that that character, that creature, be seen any more than that.
2: Less is more. Less is more about all of this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. A lot of the old, uh, the great old movies do that, and uh, it's not something you you see a lot anymore.
0: No, no. That's because uh, the, the storytelling is really.
2: Unfortunately,
0: been put on the uh, Hollywood had a tendency to put those on the side and, and go for the form that was making a lot of
2: money. So uh, you mentioned Mash a few times. Uh, Kyle's father, Dean, would like to know why. After the movie, were you never, or maybe you were uh, asked to be on the show? Why were you never on the show? When they were making the movie.
0: Bob and I were in touch all the time. Everyone would fire him, and he's telling me everything that's going on, so I'm well aware of this stuff. And, and I said, I, You know, this is really going to be a big hit in the road. They just don't have any idea. And he says, Nope. I can't explain it to him. Either. It's an inexplicable thing that happens with genius. And he was a genius. And I had all the I had my ears to that. And uh, he, he said, uh, I said, you know, it's going to be so successful that sure as hell they're going to try to do a, a television series a couple of years from now. And I remember him looking at me for a moment He says, would you do this series? They did. I said, I'm so devoted to this that I know it's going to be a success. So I, that is that's a good point, actually, because I can't say I regret not having taken that role. That would have been 11 years I would have worked in that and I'd be off in a yacht right now somewhere. (laughs) Uh, But it really was one show I enjoyed watching, uh, MASH. It was different, a whole different approach to it, but a smart approach to it. And uh, I would never be in turning point. Which is a classic ballet film, and I learned so much about it. great filmmaking, working with, uh, uh, and, 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 and Sheridan McLean, and, and quite a few other people, including Barishnikov. watching the artistry of storytelling in movement only, and, which is what ballet That's really what an audience needs, is the lack of words and the, well, how it the body can do in terms of telling you a story. Ah, um, so much I had to say about that, but uh, I probably ran away from your question. I hope I, got, I, hope I answered it in some bloody way. Absolutely. But it's just, um, you know, no regrets, no regrets on any of this stuff. And they're, they're just stories for me to tell. And I'm loaded with them. And they're all good because I'm alive. And I'm able, we're able to talk, right?
1: Absolutely. And we both
0: know that we've, we've worked in on, on roofs.
1: <laughs> we love to hear those stories, so please share more and more. I mean, when you think back on your entire career, is there, like, a, a, a single moment that pops up as a, maybe the fondest memory that you have in Hollywood? Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, I've been asked variations. Uh, that's a smart question because you
0: were much better. But I, I really can't, you know, because I was intended, every intention was to be a writer-director, I wanted to be Orson Welles. I still do. I'm still striving for that. You know? And anybody, yes, yeah, I'm sorry. I get off on all this tangent because I got too much to tell, except those other
1: stories, which I wouldn't dare tell you. <laughs> oh, we want those stories too. Tell us everything. Yeah. Now we won't get into that much. Um,
0: <laughs> no, I just, I, God, there's too much to be uh, amazed and honored and delighted and grateful for it for me to pick out one one particular thing like what was my favorite favorite role for example why do i how could i i did the best i could in some cases in other cases i did not do very well at all and i am the worst critic on myself the toughest critic so it was always about taking it all in how much am i learning what am i learning from these guys, these cats, these brilliant filmmakers I worked with, I listened to what they said to people. Uh, Herb Ross, who directed *Steel Magnolias* and the uh, dance film uh, *Turning Point*, uh, he was quite a different guy. Very much of a strict, he was a, he was a dance director, you know, basically, and he just had a different approach. But I learned a lot from that because it's quite different than. Bob Baldwin or Hal Ashby, and really just composed all of that stuff about mood, about depth, about field vision. And having let's—he he was the first guy who put smoke back in the background, so you get depth and explain all this stuff to me. Moving little pieces of uh, on the table that the head was on. You know. Ian, dear, unfortunately Ian Hunt died not too long ago, but. A uh, lovely guy, his head is sticking up through the table, and he's sort of sitting on a little stool underneath it, which you don't see, but all this tapioca around him, which are sort of electronic things. And Bob is, or uh, Ridley is changing all these, he's, I'm looking through the lens, because he, that's what he he's looking through the lens, and he's moving these different objects, one on the back, the tapioca, tapioca might be a lot larger than the other tapioca, and it's better to put that one in background height now you know that whole and he's explaining all these little idiosyncrasies that really make up those brilliant films it's that little touch of blue you put on the paint, or that take too that little touch of blue that just doesn't match and you gotta put it over and put it oh how about oh that yellow looks so much better it's that trial and error of doing it all including myself coming in during some terrible changes actors in any film, pick the same one, I tell them. but I did also a good one, and it was a good one I kept. So you just take the risk of, of trying out something different than you have been doing, and taking the risk of possibilities. I keep getting back to that, because how does our imagination grow without taking those risks? The, the imagination informs our frame of reference, informs our intelligence. It's for our betterment that we try to do better every day. We may not always do what we want, but I hope the best gets to the audience that we're making this for.
2: Yeah. All right. So uh, let's see. Uh, Heck Johnson wants to know, uh, what was it like working with Michael Parks on the China Lake murders? Do you have any Michael Parks stories?
0: Oh, yeah. That was a nice
2: experience
0: with him. Yeah, I don't remember the film that well, well, but I, I do... I always liked his acting. He did a show with a motorcycle guy back whenever. And uh, I hadn't seen him much because he's not easy to get along. But I guess he died a couple years ago. I thought he was one hell of an actor. Difficult guy. And ultimately uh, you can be a terrific actor and remain a good person, not angry. Ego is a it's a disease with people working in movies. Often they want to be better. They want to do better. They want to be better. They want more notice. They want close-ups. And I just never have thought that way. I didn't care about that. It's enough to make a living. And I think he felt that way too. About he was not just not an easy personality. He was he was somewhat angry, but he was able to utilize that effectively when he. Play, uh, when he was an actor. He was very intense in a very quiet way. You know, like he's really looking at you and looking right through you. So um, yeah, I, he's, he's gone. He never really was appreciated for. His, he was he just stepped on his own
2: foot. Yeah, I read that. Wasn't he? I read that he was like sort of blacklisted from Hollywood a little bit, right? For for one reason or another.
0: I don't know. It, it could be because he really and he drank a lot. Course, you know, but he was able to handle it uh, on that show. I, I think, had yeah, a motorcycle, if you ride to work in a motorcycle, you ride home after having had a
1: case of a beer. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're fascinating to me because you, you started in the industry and you said that you wanted to be a writer and you wanted to be a director. And then suddenly you're in, in a nude scene. Did you ever expect Big Bad Mama? You're going to be naked on the screen. I think that's fascinating. Uh, Wow! Yeah, I took that line as a comedy, and
0: they, everyone else is taking it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they really? Well, I mean, that's all I remember about that one. Yeah, <laughs> Angie Dickinson. Yeah, they were very serious about it. You know, sometimes I just I'm not spoiling it, but I, it might cause a little trouble because I just find that funny when it's supposed to be tragic. You know?
2: i just watched big bad mama the other day angie dickinson was uh quite the thing back then (laughs) yeah all right so we don't want to take take up too much more of your time here tom we have one other question ron pollock wants to know how the hell did they rope you into ted oh
0: yeah well, the director just called me one day and said, would you do this? I said, sure.
1: They just called and said, would you like to come over here and do this?
0: And I said, sure. I love that. I love those guys involved
1: in it. Is there an actor that you wish you had worked with?
0: Oh, it's like picking out my favorite movie. You just can't go for one or the other. You know, I've seen some actors that. I think... I've been in situations where I'm very off camera dialogue and I see this other actor or, or lady, it, it's a non-gender an, an adjective, but a, an, an actor who is uh, just doing such a great, I've just been bowled over by it. So I worked with uh, Helen Barron several years ago in uh, Hungary and Max von Sydow. And to watch those people, I sometimes so. Self- and others that I've worked with are the same deal. Of, I don't know why they came to mind. They did, If I was writing about them the other day. But you see a performance, and you know, you're just like, wow, this is dynamite. And I forget to deliver my lines to them, uh, so, which is always very helpful. So it, that kind of observation of everything that's going on around, that things I don't know about that I want to know about that I've learned about and can utilize in terms of the future now, still in terms of evergreen channel. I can put more to that than other people know. And it's not about obviously, well, we want to make money, but it's going to take a couple of years to build any profit on a, bill, on a company like this when it's brand new because it makes Like, hey, we've got a horse and wagon. Why, why do we need an automobile? Or we've got up movies. Why do we need talkies? You know, it's the same kind of dramatic change that we're in right now. And that's what I'm bringing to that. All of this stuff. There is no favorite except that I was fortunate enough to have this experience
2: in total. I just have one more uh, fan question of of my own, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. I know you're writing a, uh, a memoir. If they were ever to turn your, your memoir into a movie. Is there an actor of today that you would want to play Tom Skerritt? I'm not in much of what I write about. What I write about all the stuff, a lot of it I've I shared with you.
0: It's just all oh, of I, I have, I mean, it's, it's, this is all very obscure, but I mean, I have a piece of, a lovely piece of rock. It's an architectural, a very beautiful thing. It I found in Sicily. In this new area where we were digging out and we discovered there was a ruin of a village there with all this extraordinary work that the Greeks and the, uh, uh, the Romans did, where they built these amphitheaters or structures and buildings for their gods. And I brought this thing, I was able to pack it away in a suitcase. It's a little thing, about a foot and a half long, square architecturally cut with bronze or something like that. It's beautifully done. And it's showing its age, of course, as I do show mine. But I brought it home, and it's now sitting on next to my fireplace, and nobody pays any attention to it. And I, I feel really guilty about it, that uh, I didn't leave it where it belongs, a 2,000-year-old dust of a ruin, of a Greek ruin. And uh, I, I know these are not very helpful answers, but it's the way I process is the Really, the fortune, the good fortune, because I've had the downside, but, you know, in the end, it all balances out and a river runs through it. And that's really what a river runs through it for me Was is, uh, It's all where, who we are at any given time and, that we got this far. And you guys are able to do what you're doing now. Is, is Sometimes, you know, where we go and what we should appreciate more is just what we got. And how did we get there? And if we want to correct that, then you change your life. You go differently. You look at yourself differently. You look at everything out there
1: differently. I hope all that makes sense to you. Yeah. No. You've given us a lot of great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know we kept you for almost an hour here. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. We're we're excited to promote your um, your new project. We're gonna we're gonna do all that with our fans uh, and. And uh, yeah, I I don't know how to how to thank you enough. This was this was great. Well, we that, great
0: that, would, that that would be quite enough, is really to really push what we're doing. The uh, neighborhood, the uh, Evergreen Channel two eighty four on Stir app, yeah, is really worth watching. I mean, it's just you look at that that like, I can do that of some woman up in Canada who just goes out and nips up certain freeze certain greeneries here and there. And she doesn't, she says, you don't need a kitchen to have a great meal. You know, these things that we can all look at and say, wow, maybe I should learn how to pick up. You know, those, those fiddle, those fiddle ferns there, those are really good in the salad. You know, that we can survive somehow. We can survive even COVID, if we just look at it the way we have to look at it. Put a mask on your face, I'm here alone, so. <laughs> Excuse me, that I'm, excuse me that I'm not ambassador a at the time. You know, you get what I'm saying. It's sure, just you apply what you need to apply at any particular time and hope you live through it. And you come through without, that, you know, that, 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 the Nietzsche thing. Is that which doesn't
1: kill you makes you stronger. That's the life of it. Right. Well, you know, putting out, a pos- putting out positive content, I think the, the world could definitely benefit from some positive content right now. So it sounds like you're doing some wonderful work there. Yeah, we are. We really are.
2: Thank you, Tom. And tell everyone, real quick, where they can find you Instagram, Twitter, where they can find Evergreen, all that good stuff. Oh, well,
0: Evergreen, yeah, Evergreen on the app, Stirr app, S T I R R, capital. It's an app for free that Stinker Broadcasting is giving away. So, 284 is the channel number. And you. Hope you can enjoying yourself.
2: Look forward to checking it out, Tom. And thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this with us.
0: Oh, my pleasure, guys. I'm going to go watch some football. All right. Go hot.